<clears throat> let's get uh, started. My name is Aaron, by the way. If you're our guest this morning, I'm, a, I'm the lead pastor. Uh, we are a second week in our series called Socially Connected. And uh, the idea behind this, this series is how do, we, uh, how do we really find deep relationships in this very superficial world? Uh, we talked about last week how uh, a great number of people are suffering from clinical loneliness, which I didn't even know before was a, was a real uh, disease, and it is, and it has huge health effects and effects in a, for a person's life and spirit. And uh, so last week we talked about one of the things that we can do to, to really connect deep. The Bible does talk about this, um, how we, we are supposed to be connected. And last week we talked about fellowship and how essential it is that we get into real relationships with people. And that takes some effort. And uh, one of the best uh, avenues for that, and obviously coming to church is a great first step. But church is too big to really grow too deep. And so that's why we have our life groups and an opportunity to be able to get to know other people. And I don't know if you look around even this room, I'm sure there are people that you don't really know. And uh, so life groups are a great opportunity to get to know people, get to know them better, get to care for one another. It's a good thing. Today we're going to talk about something that may be a little less intuitive of how, to, uh, w- how we connect. And we're going to talk about that as, as how do we study, how do we get into the Word. And the Bible really talks about that as being an, an area for us to, to draw together in Christ and help us to go to deeper places so we don't have just superficial <laughs> Lives and conversations is an important thing. And, you know, and being in community like this is crucial to our health. Uh, people that are separated from community don't do well. Um, and that relationships, it makes sense, requires commonality. Um, and so, you know, I'm wearing my orange and blue today. Nobody else is. But, um, you know, so when I uh, go and I see other people that are, are fans of, of the Broncos or whatever, they, uh, there's like a, a level of commonality we have. But it's fairly superficial, Right? <laughs> But when I see somebody that has, uh, you know, they, they have the word or they, they say, you know, I'm going to be praying for you. Or uh, when I see that they, they are in Christ, instantly there's a deeper connection. For starters, that we're going to spend forever together, right? So I better get to learn to like them. The earlier I start, the better. But there's something else. There's, there's a level at which there's a common understanding that we're broken and that we need a Savior and that there is a Savior in who he is. And the more that we understand the word and what it means and what it says, the deeper we can connect in community. And so how we connect in, in that is, is what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, you know, Jesus even said, if you love me, which it talks about community, if you love me, in John 14, he said, there's something we're going to do. We're going to keep his commands. Now, how do we know his commands? How are we going to, to grow there? There's something that we must study. Right? We have to get down and understand what does Jesus really want? so we can express love to him in the way that, that he's asked for. Today, our memory verse actually comes uh, from Acts 2.42 and talks about how the early church, which was you know, growing and healthy, and, and this is what it this says that the early church did. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, okay, that's what we have in the Bible, and to fellowship, it's getting together, to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer. And we want to be a healthy church, right? We want to be disciples that are building disciples. That's what we call to do. Okay, well, here's a good thing for us to look at as a good model as to how we devote ourselves to this, to the apostles' teaching, right? This is important. We get together into fellowship, remembering that we connect together to the breaking of bread, always remembering by God's grace that we're here, and to prayer, depending on God's power. Now, that's important. I mean, we look at how the early church, how did it grow in health? And there was a word in there that I think is so important to us. It's devoted. Right? We don't skip over that. 
It's not like, oh, when they got around to it, when there wasn't anything better going on, this is what they did. A level of devotion is saying, this is what they're committed to, the most important things. And so there was intentionality in the early church that, that was necessary for the church to grow. When, when we look at the first 12 disciples, wasn't there intentionality in following Jesus? I mean, it wasn't just that they were just walking along in their life and they saw this guy and they're like, oh, I guess I'll just kind of follow along, got nothing else going on. Right? We, we look at when Jesus even called the apostles, he shows up at their places of employment and says, you're getting off work right now. Right? They just left their nets, boom, and follow a level of intentionality, a level of saying there's a priority in this that outranks everything else in life. And we find that not just with the 12, but with the church. And there are certain things that the church devotes itself to, which are not the things that are commonly what we're called to as a church devote ourselves to, or we're told that we're supposed to devote ourselves to. They weren't devoted to charismatic speakers. They weren't devoted to great worship, right? They weren't devoted to great coffee, right? There were certain things that they were devoted to. The other things are nice, but there are certain things that the church, it rests upon. There's a depth and a community and a commonality that we are found in several things. And the first of which is the apostles' teaching. We've got to know what it says. Right? And so, disciples of Jesus are devoted to the Bible. We don't have the apostles walking around amongst us right now. But we do have what the Holy Spirit inspired from them. Right? We do have what God has spoken to them through us. In fact, if you have your Bibles, right, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 3.16. If you don't have a Bible, we've got lots of them back there, so please just take one. And if you need a Bible, please keep it, our gift to you. As we go into 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is way in the very back of your Bibles on page 833, and the verse that we have is right before verse or chapter 4. But... 2 Timothy was a letter of Paul, right, who was a, an apostle, to Timothy, the disciple that he was making, a disciple that makes disciples, and he did it pretty effectively. And this was written way later in Paul's life. He's, he's getting ready to, to, to die, and he's, he's finishing things up. He's worked in Timothy's life all of this times, and he has a few things more that he wants to impress upon Timothy. And so they have these books, Timothy, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. So what does it mean to, to lead in the church? And he passes on things that are deep and, and very important because he knows that Timothy now is going to be carrying the torch. And he passes it on. And I think when we read these chapters and we understand the importance of, of Paul who's sitting in a, in a jail cell, unable to be with the man the, that he had helped raise in the faith, the passion that, that he writes these words and also the importance of them. You're not going to waste your last parchment on useless things. And so in 2 Timothy 3.16 we read that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know some of you in Christ have probably heard that or if you were at Bible camp, you probably memorized it. 
But I think this is so powerful. It's important for us to just take a second to go back through and remember what this is. This is not just some other book, is it? No. God breathed. That means that like, the, the word of God, and it says all scripture. That's everything in this. That's the difference between the Bible and what they say every other holy book or any other idea or philosophy that has ever come across this world. This doesn't come from people. This is not the humanity's ideas. This comes from God. Now, it's not just me saying that. It's not just we say this is God's word because people a long time ago said it was God's word and now it's just myth that it's God's word. There's a lot of really great evidence that God puts into this that proves this couldn't be from people. And you know, in a couple of months, we're going to be going through a series in Daniel that will be showing some very specific things that people couldn't just make up. There's a lot of evidence. And if you would like some evidence for how we know this is God's word, I would love to share that with you. But this morning, we're going to start with the premise... This is God's word. All of it. God breathed. You know, the other, there's a couple times in scripture where we see God breathing. The very first time is in Genesis. And there was a lump of dead clay, and the thing that made it different is God breathed into it. I think that's pretty significant. When God breathes, life happens. When God breathes, life happens. Do you need life? Are you sitting in a place right now in your life where you're, you're just feeling drained? You feel like you're just running out of, there's just not the energy, there's just not the, the ability to, to go through this. God has breathed. But you know when he's saying God breathed, he's also talking about, he's like, uh, when you speak, can you speak words without breathing out? Can't do it. He's saying that there's, these are the words of God, these are the thoughts, the ideas of God himself. And there's one other place in the Word we find that God, He spoke in the Word. Is, it says that, uh, that there in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The beginning of John. Hey, God's Word is powerful. It's personified in Christ, but it, it is also made a, right here for us, an objective truth for us to go to. to reveal. Have you ever wondered, thought to yourself, I would just love to sit down with Jesus right now and talk through my life situations? You know, wonder what his, his ideas are, his guidance. God has spoken. And we have God's word. Don't miss that. This is, why are we going all the time to, to other people and other people's ideas first? And we have God's very own truth accessible. This is why... At this church, and for all Christians it should be, this becomes our standard of faith and practice. If it's in here, it is true because it's not from people. This is not us guessing what God is like. This is what God said He is like. This is not us guessing what the meaning of life is. This is God telling us what the meaning of life is. This is not us guessing what our morals should be. This is God telling us what our morals ought to be. God has given us a light. He's revealed it. He's pulled back the curtain. He said, surprise, here's truth for you. You don't have to keep wondering what it is. Becomes the foundation upon which we can live. And as Christians, we have to find that commonality. Because if we don't, what we have is a bunch of people who are authoritative in their own circles. And if you are the king of your own little empire and somebody else that's in the church is the king of their empire and you guys don't agree, you're going to go to war every time. 
But when we say, you know, it's really not my thoughts or ideas that really matter. It's what God's thoughts and ideas are or what matters. And that's where we're going to find unity. That's where we can begin to go deep together. That's where we can say, you know what? Maybe I'm a little prideful about this. Or maybe, you know what? I, I didn't know quite as much as I thought. And that's okay because none of us know as much as God. It gives us license to be humble because it is from God. That is why Scripture is to be revered. It's an important thing, and it starts, this is the foundation. If we move away from the Word, then we just start with our own thoughts or ideas, and we become an institution of people. We cannot make disciples of Jesus because we don't even know what He says. We have to start with this. It is God's Word, and so therefore it's all kinds of good stuff. And it says in here it's useful for some fun, some fun things. And the very first thing that it says is that it is useful for teaching. And you know that's a really good thing. Have you ever wondered at what God would have for you in your life? God has written it in a way that you would understand it. I love when, when I was studying uh, back in Bible college that the, the type of Greek that was used wasn't the classical, you know, highfalutin, pooty wooty Greek. The class, right? It was the common man, this is the common man's language Greek. They call it koine, but it was just street language. It was the language of the people so that people could understand it. I love that. I love that it was written in the language of the most people in the world at that time that spoke generally and most commonly. That's the language that it was in. God has spoken to us so we would understand. It's useful for teaching. God wants you to get it. He's not writing in riddles. He's telling you. He's telling us. And it's useful for us not just to understand, but it also helps us teach others, doesn't it? Have you ever been in a time where somebody speaks something to you and it just brings a deep conviction in your life? Either, man, that is totally true, or wow, you know what? That has revealed something about me that I wish that wasn't revealed, but (laughs) you ever had that? Usually it comes when the Word of God is used because it's not you bringing bringing the conviction. This has authority. And so it's useful for us to go back to and teach. Not only that, but also then there's the other part is useful for rebuking. Who here is perfect? Right? And if you raised your hand, you would have gotten something wrong because you're not perfect. So then you, you got that. Right? None of us. All of us need correction. Every single one of us. And that doesn't mean that we're to be hated or despised. I think about my son Thomas. Not a perfect kid, but darn close. Right? But I think of... In his life, there's been a lot of times that he's done things, and as a parent, my job is to help correct him, not beat him, not, you know, moralize him or anything. When he's doing something not great, I get to show him because he's doing things out of ignorance. And sometimes he's doing things out of wickedness. But either, cha- either way, if I know a better way for him to live, I have a joy of helping him, correcting him. That's what rebuking is about. It's not about shaming you. It's about correcting our lives so we stop making stupid mistakes. Think of the joy that we have in Christ, that we have a heavenly father that doesn't just abandon us to do whatever we think we might want to do. We'd be like a bunch of toddlers running around with scissors. God cares enough, and the word of God teaches us. It's why there's, it's written in such a way we can get it so it can correct us. But it also gives us the authority and the courage to correct one another. See, in the word, you know, people always say, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. We have to take that in context. You know, when we find that Jesus is talking about these, he says, listen, if you want to be loved, love other people. 
right? And if, if you want people to be really condemning to you, well, then be really condemning to them. That's what he's talking about. Now, there are passages that says, you know, if you don't forgive somebody, the Heavenly Father won't forgive you. There is that. But that's forgiveness, not judgment. In the body of Christ, we are commanded to help judge one another, to evaluate each other's lives together. We're supposed to be in community deep enough that we know each other well enough that when I am off and I'm doing something that will destroy my life or hurt other people or hurt the church, I'm supposed to trust you guys to come around me and say, Aaron, you're getting this wrong so I can be corrected. So I can be not shamed, but so I can get my life back on track. So I can start living in a way that is productive. Well, you know what? I am really not interested in your ideas about my life. But I'm very interested in what God says about my life. And as Christians, if we start with the premise that the Bible is God's word and it is authoritative, we should all be interested in what God has to say about our life. And that should give us the humility to listen. If you bring correction, bring it through the word. That's why it's helpful for rebuke. To say, it's not just that I'm saying that you're walking outside of God's will. Here's where it says in the word. I don't have to argue it. I don't have to even agree with what God has to say. All I have to say is it's right. It's useful for this. Have you ever seen a brother or sister in Christ who is going astray? I think we all have because we've all gone astray, Right? It's so much easier. And you'll wonder, what do I say to them? How do I help them come back? Start here. Don't just say, I feel like they're going astray. Know where it says in the word that they're going astray. Then you're able to go and bring a good rebuke. Not out of you're a bad, horrible person, but hey, come on, we're trying to live this thing together and we need each other. And here's where we find something in the word. How can I help you get back to this? It's useful for that. And because of this, this understands useful for rebuking, is understanding this is where we get our ethics. God gets to say what is truly right and truly, truly wrong. Not me. And not you and not anybody else. Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be judged by anybody else's standard. And neither are you and neither is anybody else. We're going to be judged by God's standard. God gets to say what is true. And therefore, if we come back to this as true, We have a useful platform to help one another stay walking in the life of truth. The Bible is powerful. It's not only useful for for teaching and and rebuking, which I think is is pretty cool. It can be our arbitrator in in those things. But it also, uh, correcting, but also training. Training and equipping. You know, the Bible does want us to do something of value. He says, God has taken us, people that were basically dead in our spirit, people who have failed in a significant way, people who, all of us, who had gone astray and had waged war against God. And then we found in this that God doesn't just save us, but that he calls us to ministry, every one of us. He says, I've got something to do. He calls us together in the body of Christ, and he's called us to do something, to make our faith alive, to make it active. But have you ever felt not equipped? Wondering, how am I supposed to do what God wants me to do? Scripture helps us. It's like walking beside Christ. God has breathed. He's given us his word. Have you want his wisdom in your life to say, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to reach out? How am I supposed to care for people? How am I supposed to forgive? 
right? What does it mean to be charitable? What does it mean to be kind? How am I supposed to love enemies? Because that's hard. You will be equipped if you understand this. And it's not a riddle, but it does take devotion and time. You're going to have to get into the Word and study it. You're going to have to look and say, how does this apply to me in my life? It equips you. And it doesn't just equip you a little. Look at verse 17. You read that. It says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a lot of big words in there that are important. First one is the servant of God. And Jesus said he's going to take care of us and, and give us things, but he says, you know what you need to do is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God's children are also God's servants. In your life, if you want to live a life of, of productivity, you want to live to find real life, Jesus says, lose your life. Stop living for you. Stop serving your own desires and needs and wants. Start at the fact that you've got to serve him. Lay down your life, and he says, you're actually going to find it. You know, the coolest thing is that it's so counterintuitive, but it's true. The happiest, most joyful people, the most stable people that I've ever met are those who stopped living for themselves and stopped being so selfish and started living for God. We learn how to do that here. And it starts by saying, I'm a servant of his, but it says this, I will be thoroughly, not just kind of equipped. It's not like God just gives you a crash course and sends you out into the war. When we go out into this world and serve, if we understand the word and we're students of it, we will be absolutely prepared. And that takes a lot of fear away, doesn't it? So my dad was a a fire chief, and for 30 years he worked in the emergency services things. And I remember several times just driving up the canyon and we would come across a car accident. And my dad's response was totally different than my response. My dad knew exactly what to do. Right? You know, to turn on the lights and put the flares out and do all the things that he was supposed to do, call the people and go down and what to say to the folks whilst they were waiting for the ambulance to come. And man, he was just cool as a cucumber, knew exactly what to do. Me, I'm over in the corner praying, like, Lord Jesus, you gotta help this person because I'm freaking out right now. The difference between my dad and me is that he had training. That was the difference. He was thoroughly equipped. So when he came across the thing, and he did, he went to all kinds of trainings every single month, every single week, he did all kinds of trainings, so that when something came up that he wasn't expecting, he had already pre-expected it, and he was thoroughly equipped and knew exactly what to do, didn't cause him anxiety. Now the more that I understand this and read it, the more that I'm thoroughly equipped for what life throws at me. I will come across accidents in, in all kinds of things in people's lives, including my own. And the more I understand this, the less panic I feel, the more I know what to do. Are you tired of feeling just panicked by life, afraid of what it might throw at you? Study. Get to know it. Be thoroughly equipped. You will be ready in every possible way for the ministry and the life that God has put before you. That's what it says. And it's equipped for not just some good works, but for every good work. You don't just get to have to specialize. God is going to prepare you, and this is his tool to do it. The Bible is an amazing thing, and I think that a lot of times we have them on our shelf, and they get all dusty, and we forget about them. That's the last thing as a Christian we ought to do. Christians, disciples, are devoted to the Bible. This should be the most worn out thing in your entire possession. 
We need to understand what it says. So how do we do it? How do we get a grip on the Bible? Right? How do I get this so I don't just kind of have it just loosely in my mind? How do I get this so I have a full grip? So like when it talks about in Ephesians 6 of the Bible is the, the word of God is a sword of the spirit. Right? I can actually take the enemy to task with it. How do I do that? Well, it's simple, and, and I've got something for you. We've used many times here as a church because it's helpful because most people have hands, right? So if you have a hand that's got five fingers, you can hold it up. And, and <laughs> here's some things that, that we could do. The first thing that, that you want to do is you've got to hear the word, right? You've got to listen to it. You've got to hear what it says. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes through hearing the message, and the message is heard. Through the good word about Christ. You got to hear it. You know, and, and uh, we, where do you hear the word? Well, you're hearing it right now. I just read it for you. Right? That's what sermons are all about. Good sermons. <laughs> Should go back to the Bible. You mean filling your life with scripture. You know, another great way to hear the word too is sometimes there's music that's got scripture in it. And it helps you think about it and meditate on it. It's another great way of hearing the word. You've got to hear it. We've got to fill our lives with truth. And there's been a lot of sociological studies out there that show that what we put into our ears affects what comes out of our lives. We need to be filling our life with more scripture. You can also speak it to other people. I think that's an important thing, but we need to hear it. Get in the habit. One of the best ways to start with that is make coming to church a priority. Be here. In fact, uh, Hebrews 10, which uh, uh, Keith did a great job talking about today, setting us for communion, talks about we have Jesus and what he has done for us. In that chapter, at the end of it, he says, you know what, therefore, don't neglect the meeting together. This is essential, devotion. Being here is not about you, but it certainly affects you in a powerful way. Not just hearing, though. That's just the first thing. Some people stop there. You also have got to read it for yourself. This is hugely important. Second Timothy, right, the book that we were just in. And in chapter 4, at the very end, the Apostle Paul, is, uh, he knows he's probably going to die. And he's in, his, uh, he's in his cell. And here's a guy who's written a good portion of the New Testament. You think he knows the word pretty well. Right? How important is reading the word? Well, I think that it's, it's pretty cool. Chapter 4, um, he, says, uh, he says that um, when you come, bring along my, uh, in, uh, sorry, uh, verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak that I left, right? So he's cold, so he wants to be warm. And then what else? In my scrolls, especially the parchments. He was a, a, a student of the word. Here's a man that wrote a good portion of the New Testament and he's sitting in a jail cell and he says, you know what? As I am here, this is what I need. And he's not asking for all kinds of stuff. I need a coat so I'm not just like freezing to death. But I also need my scrolls. I need the word. Because they didn't have books like this back then. They had scrolls, especially the parchments. He said, bring me my Bible. What's he going to do in the Bible for ministry out there? Well, he was, uh, what is he going to do while he's locked up? He's going to be devoted to the word. That's what he's going to be because that's what disciples are. It doesn't matter what phase of life you are in. The word of God is still effective for you. 
If it was effective for the Apostle Paul at the very end of his life when his ministry, when he says, I've been already been poured out like a cup, I'm ready to go home. And he says, but the most important things are going to bring me something, bring me my Bible. How much more important for you and me? And you know, I think it's ridiculous too. The Apostle, the great Apostle, had to ask for his disciple to bring it at a great cost and great risk to him. And we have Bibles by, you know, by the boatload. We have them in our house all over the place. We have them on our devices. He's begging for it. How much more is for us? We can never know the Bible well enough. You can't sit there and tell me that you know this word so well that you don't need to read it anymore. We all need this. We need the constant reminder, the constant depth that it brings. Psalm 119 says, The word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. You ever been camping? You need to go to the bathroom at night, you get out, you forget your flashlight, you will understand how important it is to have a light for your path. Because you will trip on everything, won't you? And most of us live our lives without a lamp, and we're tripping all over all kinds of things in our life, and we're wondering, why am I getting so beat up? Why am I, I can't even see the problems before they hit. You know, God has given us a light. You need it. And you can never camp enough where you don't need the flashlight when you go out at night. And you can never, ever, ever live long enough that you're not going to need this in your life. So, read it. Also, on top of reading then, it goes further. We need to study it. It says in Acts 2, the disciples, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. They didn't just hear it. right? They just read it and they're like, oh, that's kind of nice. They're like, what does this mean? How does it apply in my life? We've got to study, how does it tie together? Because the coolest thing in the Bible, it, it, you go deep and it's deeper still. And it ties together in amazing ways. And the more you begin to study it, the more you begin to understand that this thing is, is not from people. It connects hundreds of years, thousands of years of wisdom, and it all interconnects perfectly. There is a web there, and there's an arrow there, and it points to a Savior. It's a cool book. Study it. And the more we study it, the more we understand that it's not just my opinions I'm bringing into the book, the more I'm allowing God's word to send its opinion about me and my life. Study. You need to study. In Acts, there was a group of people that listened to the Apostle Paul and what he said about the Messiah and how he was part of the, uh, the Old Covenant and it pointed to him. And the Apostle Paul went to these, these Jewish believers or these Jewish people and he went to their, their synagogue and he taught them about that. And you know what they did? They said, that's interesting. And it says, then they studied what he had said very carefully. They tested the apostles' words against the word of God. And their names were the Bereans, if you've ever heard that. We want to be like the Bereans. You've got to test people's ideas against what God's word has to say. It doesn't matter how eloquent they are or popular they are. We have to test you, but you need to know what it says. So we have to learn how to study it. And then, on top of studying, then there, that's, you say, well, that should be enough. No, we need to memorize this. We have to get God's word in our heart. Look how Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus, who is God, right? Who could just like say, Satan, I stop willing you to exist, and he would be gone. Right? Jesus, would, would, he was being tempted before, uh, right after he was baptized. He gets taken out for 40 days into the wilderness, and he's not eaten, and after 40 days of being just you know, beat up by the devil, there's final confrontation, and the devil comes up to him, three full-on attacks. And Jesus defeats him in a way that every one of us can defeat the devil. He doesn't pull out his supernatural power or authority. He says, Satan, it is written. 
And he points back to what the Bible says. And how does he know what the Bible says? Well, for starters, you know, he's part of writing it. But he (laughs) studied it and he memorized it. He knew exactly what it said. That's why we do Bible memory verses every week, by the way. I want you to be thoroughly equipped. When there are things coming along in life, there's a memory verse that you might have gone to a year ago, and all of a sudden, there's a situation that you didn't expect and you come upon, and that word of God is exactly what you need. There's a purpose for that. We need to memorize it. These words matter. And as we memorize the word of God, we think about what it says, and that is meditate. We don't just what it says, what it means. What, is it, what was the author really saying about this? What was his intended meaning? How does it apply to my life today? How am I supposed to put this into practice? If you're reading the word and you forget what it says or what it's supposed to have anything about you, the Bible says that you're fooling yourself. You're like a foolish person who looks in the mirror, finds that you've got something smeared on your face, and then totally forget about it. You turn away. You don't correct anything. Right? That's what it says you are. If you're going to the Word and there's never an application, there's never conviction, there's never anything that says, I'm supposed to be living a different way, it says you're doing it wrong. Now the thing is, sometimes we read the Word and at first you're like, well, that's a cool story. Okay, I'll go about my day. Sometimes you have to actually think about what it says and why God would have included that in the Word and what does it mean? What is the application for me in this? You've got to think about it. Meditate. That's what meditation is, just focused thinking. Do you have time in your life where you ever think about the Word of God? Where you're sitting, devoting your time, saying there's a thousand other things that tell me I should be doing something else, but this is important, and I'm going to spend time thinking about what His Word says. is essential. Now the last one is applying it. We can't just know what God's Word is and then not do it, Right? John, in 1 John, says, hey, dear brothers and sisters, let's not just uh, love with words, right, but also with actions, right? Peter says, uh, he says, listen, you can't just go about and just know what God says and not put it into your life. You have to obey. James says the same thing, right? The disciples have this united voice. Even Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. There has to be application. If your life doesn't look different now than when you came to Christ, there's something wrong. If your life doesn't look different now than when you do a book study, when you start studying the Bible, there is something wrong. If there's not some application that you can even take from today and put it into your life, there is something wrong. God is not just speaking to hear himself talk. He is talking life into your life. So we need to hear it, and we need to apply. And to know how I'm supposed to apply, of course, then I need to meditate. Sometimes to meditate, I do need to spend some time memorizing. And memorizing, first I've got to understand the context. So I've got to read this thing. I've got to understand. I've got to study it and read it. And it sure helps to hear it with other people too so we have a common ground. We need to get a grip on the Word. Disciples are devoted to the Word of God. And as disciples, there is no other thing we can't do. I can't give you a book, even a good book. I can't give you any other book that's going to affect your life, do the life change, anything like the Word of God. I can't thoroughly equip you, but the Word of God can. So we need to be devoted to that. So how do we do that? Well, on the back of your connection card, there's some things that you can do. The first one this week is the challenge to memorize Acts 2.42. 
If you wonder what a disciple does, what is the habit of a disciple lifestyle, what does a discipleship community look like? Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. Now look at your life. Are you devoted to those things? And the way that you are, that's awesome to help others. And the areas that you're not, now you've got some next steps. This is where you can grow. Memorize this. Maybe what you need to do is read 2 Timothy. Listen to the words of a wise old pastor to, to his disciple. Listen to what it says about God's word and how it's supposed to affect our life and living, especially in the church. Spend some time this week reading God's word. Or maybe you need to make church a priority because it wasn't just the apostles' teaching, it's fellowship. And it's the breaking of bread. And it's the prayer. And do you happen to know that some of those things we find every single Sunday here? There's a reason for that. So maybe it's what you do. You say, you know what? I have not been making church a priority. You know, the average American comes to church less than two times a month. That's pathetic. That's not devotion. That's convenience. Jesus didn't come to bring the convenient. He said, I'm making disciples. And disciples change the world. Disciples are what life comes through. And he's calling you to that. A high standard. I enjoin you. I encourage you. Accept that. Maybe what you need to do is join or lead or host a life group. Where do you study the word deep? Life groups are a great place, aren't they? You get other Christians around. You get to have fellowship. <laughs> you get to eat dinner together. But you can go deep in the word together. You know, another thing you can do is we have a, a community Bible study, which is phenomenal as well. And it is also a place of fellowship and of depth. The only thing is it's going to be too big for you to go really deep with everyone. It's kind of like church, right? There's going to be too many people. So if you go to that, I encourage you then get connected with one or two that are, are a smaller group and that you can really begin to, to mull through this. The best thing, go to both. Well, our church, our, our community is blessed by God with so many opportunities to study the word. So say, you know what? I'm going to commit to that. And if you do that, um, Kelly, who's our life group's leader, he's going, or, um, he's going to be contacting us, helping you get connected. You know, but there's something else that you need to do. And you only knew, you know what that is, right? The Holy Spirit's convicting you to do something. As your pastor, I want to support you. It's part of being a shepherd, and I love to do that. Let me know what it is, this next step. What is the application so I can be supporting you? Or maybe there's something else that you need. Maybe you're here this morning, you've never started a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You look in your life, and you're like, well, this is, it'd be awesome to have a light to my, <laughs> my, my life, right? It would be awesome to have direction and guidance and, that, and, and purpose. But you look in your life, and you've never had a time where you can remember that you've placed your faith in Jesus as your, as your Lord, your God, and your Savior. There's never been a time that you've confessed Him as so. And, and said, you know what, this is who he is. There's never been a time where you've, you've repented and you've actually said, you know what, not my way, but God's way. There's never been a time that you've been baptized, which is something that most people remember. There's never been a time that you, you've joined into a church and have been discipled. If that's you, over here on this side, I said, I'd like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. If you, if you check that, then I'd like you to also put your information here. And we'll call, get together this week. And we'll talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus. I've been following him for like, what, almost uh, two and a half decades. So I'm a baby Christian to some and I'm an older Christian to others. But I've been walking for a while. And I can tell you my experience and what does it mean. I can answer some questions about maybe you've got some doubts. 
And if and when you're ready, I'll help you take those steps of faith and faithfulness. You never have to walk this faith alone. You are in a family of faith. So if that's you, check that. Here in a minute, uh, we're going to take our offering. Of course, before we do that too, if you have a prayer request, please write that down. Um, I love it. My staff too. We love praying for you. And if, if we know how to pray for you, powerful things happen. So please let us know how we can be praying for you this week. Write that down. And then um, in a minute, we'll take our offering. As you take our offering, take these connection cards, all of us, and let's put them in the offering basket. And uh, before we do that, of course, I'd like to pray for our commitments and, and for our offering. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that you didn't just leave us on our own to guess what is right in life, that you've given us direction and clarity, that you've given us something objective that that we can judge our life and our faithfulness by, Lord, that we can look at it and say, this is what you want from us so that we can live the life that you've called us to. Now, Father, I pray that you allow that word to become real in our lives. Let us be a church that is devoted. And we're devoted, Father, to the apostles' teaching. Father God, I pray the word would find its place into our life as a part of our habit, part of our everyday experience. Father, into fellowship, that, that this union that you have brought together, this beautiful bride of Christ, this church, Lord, that, that you would make it not something that is, that is something that is distant from us, but Father, something that we can connect in deeply. And Father, we're pray that we would always be devoted to the breaking of bread and the remembrance that we stand by grace through faith and not by works. And Father, to prayer that you would be a, a constant part of our life, that we would have the good sense to invite you and your leadership and your love and your guidance. Lord, today we thank you for your word. May it change us. I pray for our commitments that we make today. Help us to keep them in a way that draws us closer to you. Father, we pray for our tithes and offerings. Thank you for the practical opportunities you give us to express our faith, Lord, by giving back a portion which you've given us. Father, I pray this wouldn't just be a gift to the church, but Father, it would be expression of our love to you. And I pray, Father, in that, that you would do great things, that you would magnify this to expand your kingdom in our life, in this church, in our community. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.